most people can accept that emotional decisions are going to be worse than well thought out decisions. Yeah. How do you get to that place? I think you you habituate yourself to walking around with with clear algorithms of thinking, right? Being mm-hmm. a thinking person. Welcome to Bees in Your Face. My name is Hunter Arias. I'm the son of Dr. Robert Arias, a neuropsychologist here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, conversations with my dad have always been enlightening. And as I've been making podcasts for a little while now, we both decided that our mutual areas of expertise could result in a bit of a conversational public journal where both my questions and, and his insights could be accessed by anyone who was curious enough to listen. Uh, what you just heard was a clip of today's episode in which we dissected the difference between emotional and logical reasoning, and we also revealed to you the reason behind the name this series was given. So stick around. Thank you for listening, and I hope you find uh, my dad and I's conversations as productive and insightful and hilarious as I do. Mm-hmm. I always think, you know, we've lost... Uh, a large degree our value of acquisition of wisdom with things right and coherence with that like I remember when you were in high school you know we were talking about uh, having a coherent uh, collection of premises right our philosophical premises the things that we believe in and cross-checking them against other things that we're subscribing to in our thinking right and that those things should be all coherent and not inter- internally contradictory, right? right? Right. And you went and talked to a friend of yours in high school, and you said that your friend ar- argued with you that that was not right, that they don't. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I think about that on a daily basis, actually. Do you? Because mm-hmm. um, it's been years since we've t- discussed that. Um, and my thought when you said that was, uh, how, how do you, how does that person have any sort of philosophical leg to stand on right where they have uh fluctuating morals and ethics right that are just at at their convenience yeah so i don't think what i'm saying addresses what you were saying whatsoever no, man no, that's fine um but i don't I'm, I'm not sure that i know a whole lot about you know about w- what you're talking about with that i'm sure that i'm sure that those ra- that rabbit hole situation with kids just sort of um i say kids young adults whatever adolescents going into the internet i mean people end up um, you know, birds of a feather flock together sort of idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have a confirmatory bias. You know, I have a tile in my office um, that quotes uh, Simon, uh, Paul Simon in, in The Boxer from Simon and Garfunkel. It says, a man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Um, I actually took crap from somebody one day about ha- saying that it was a man in there. I'm like, oh, it's, it's just Paul Simon's lyric, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lyric in a song. Paul Simon's you know? one of the more liberal guys out there. I, I know, mean, come I'm, on. I'm not trying to be <laughs> trying to be like exclusive or exclusionary of women or something. Right. Or um, sexist or whatever. It's just oh, a line man. from a song. Anyway. That's that's just super representative of uninsightfulness. Well, I mean, coming in and see, picking that out of that quote to – to yeah. focus on yeah it's like it shows your priorities yeah but I, I think it's psychologically emotionally i think it's comforting for people to have reassurance i mean people seek re especially insecure people they seek reassurance of things and so they they want someone to to tell them that they're okay right mm-hmm. and that what they're thinking is okay and i think psychology um uh it's jordan peterson i think talks about this you know um that that they go to people go to a psychologist and psychologists say you're okay, and the people right. and the people are like, 
I'm not okay, man. That's why I'm here, right? Yeah. I'm here because yeah. I don't feel okay, right? Right. But but people have ambivalence about being told, that, no, this is actually not okay, you know. So I think people can confuse the the idea of. I think the problem with this is they confuse the idea of um, being told, being given respect for the, the sovereignty of their freedom to think how they want to think. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, is okay. In fact, we celebrate that versus the content of what they're thinking may not be okay whatsoever, right? But they're, it's okay that they're free to think it, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Right, right? Yeah. as long as you're not infringing on somebody else's life. Yeah, liberty, absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure, right. Ted mm -hmm. Bundy would say, well, I, think I feel entitled to infringe on anything I <laughs> feel like infringing on. And no, that's not okay. Yeah. But I think that's where people get confused is that they, they is that and especially the, you know, the, the safe spaces sort of left wing people like that. Um, they don't celebrate the process of our our freedom to think how we want and celebrate the bigger picture of expression of that in a respectful way is is to do, to be celebrated. That is at the core of our of our values as Americans, you know, as freedom of speech. Yeah. Right. Um, as opposed to what they're saying, you may f totally disagree with that. But at what point do we start excluding people or being straight up disrespectful to them while we're trying to exclude them from our campus or from wherever? Does right, that make sense? right. And that oh, makes no sure. sense. I mean, Thomas Jefferson said, I, I find political, political differences to be not a reason to not be friends with somebody. Yeah. And of course, he said it way better than I did using <laughs> double negatives. But he said, you know, political differences are not a, not a reason to not be friends with somebody. Mm -hmm. So we can be friends with, and that's the thing that we celebrate. That's the thing that has always bound us together is that respect for freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to um, people convincing themselves that everything's okay, um, is there anything that you see consistently patients come to you um, that they've been convinced that's okay that you have to tell them, no, it's not okay? Well, if you if you read reviews of me online, you'll hear a lot of things. See a lot of things that are not true, in fact. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm frank guy with people, right? Always, in my opinion, in a respectful way, right? Uh, because it because it 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 is um, congruent with the value of honesty, right? With people, like there are lies of commission and lies of omission, right? Lie of commission is a lie about something that's not true, like I. I'm eight feet tall. Well, I'm not eight feet tall, right? That would be a lie of commission. A lie of omission is it was relevant to say something at that time, and I didn't, right? I omitted yeah. it from yeah. our conversation. And that is disrespectful to one's value of honesty, if one has a value of honesty. And it's also disrespectful to the other person's capacity, provided that they have capacity, to deal with the truth. Right. It's that Jack Nicholson line from the movie A Few Good Men. The truth. You can't handle the truth. Right. If you right. treat people like they're mentally incapacitated from dealing with the realities of their lives. It's disrespectful to them unless they, in fact, are mentally incapacitated, like they have a dementia or they're mentally handicapped in some way. But most people would would say, well, they're not going to handle it well. And so they don't say whatever the difficult truth would have been to have told them right at that time when it was appropriate to tell them that relevant to whatever was going on at the time right that's a cop-out on the part of the liar 
right, yeah. on the part of the person that's not telling them that because they don't want to, what the truth is they don't want to deal with the person's reaction and, uh, and then have whatever the fallout is after that. And they rationalize out, well, they won't change anyway. You know, it's another um, family, right. family feud survey says, like number one, number two, number three reasons why people don't say those things. Um, yeah, they're not gonna change anyway, so why should I say anything? Well, we say it because it's the truth and it's relevant to say right now. And if the person doesn't react well, then we have all kinds of other options, right? Uh, why are we even having this conversation? If we've had this conversation before, um, why are we here doing this again? I mean, that's a boundary-setting problem. Right. Hmm. Um, you, you talk about respectfulness reg in regards to your patients. Um, and I've, I'm, I've also um, been pretty interested in, in, in the idea that first, and I've spoken about this on other podcasts, that first you have to be kind to somebody. <coughs> and if that person is reciprocal, then they earn your respect, right? And then if it goes so far as um, to the point that you're emotionally involved and they're in it's, it's reciprocal in that respect, the emotion, then it's love, right? Um, just from my, from my own personal experience and understanding. Uh, so you, you talk about it would be disrespectful to um, not be honest with your patients does that mean that you inherently have an element of respect for your patients? And is that maybe because you, they're, they're giving you their patronage by coming to you? Um, is, it, is it out of just your duty to, to provide a quality service? Or um, I guess w to what extent does respect play into your patients and how much do you have to uh, detract your own emotion into uh, into a patient, you know. So I, you know, you, earlier you said the the extreme ends of the political spectrum um, behave more emotionally. Like the like the the graph would look like a, we have a graph, a line graph of emotionality, and as we get farther from the center of the political spectrum, the emotion the line would go up on both ends. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that I'm think, I'm sure that's true for some segments of both ends of those. Um, but I think that there's a very uh, pragmatic bunch of people as well, maybe on both ends of the political spectrum. Um, I always say this is, uh, this is um, business, right? Uh, you and I have talked about that in the past, you know, when you were a kid, a kid um, talking about, you know, the business of relationships, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the business of, and, and I guess one thing to clarify is that I've always said, and you and I have talked about over the years through your childhood, uh, that it's important to, to define our terms, right? To clarify what we're talking about. So you use the word kindness, you use the word respect. What do those things mean? Like I was, I was leaving home this morning and, <coughs> and mom referred to someone as a wench. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right? And I was like, and I said, I, I don't know. I never, never thought of that person really as a wench, the way I think of a wench. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so, what what do you think I did? Um, as I'm driving away, knowing you me. probably looked up the definition. Yeah, of, of course. Wench I, and of <laughs> course, I looked up the definition of wench on my 
uh, my dictionary app on the front page of my phone screen, right? Because right, right. it's right there always, and it's always, <laughs> yeah. okay, word of the day is whatever. And so wench meant, first I asked Google, I said, hey, Google, what does wench mean? Just to get her, her, her she's a female on my phone, yeah. definition of, of that. And uh, basically she said she's a, a, a young woman or a prostitute, hmm. okay? And I looked up the Merriam's Dictionary version of wench, uh, and it said basically the same thing, young, young woman or, uh, or lewd, lewd woman, mm -hmm. right? And, and I was like, all right, that's a little bit different than I've always thought of the word <laughs> wench. Like, yeah. colloquially, you know, we refer to the word, like, she's a wench. Yeah. Like, she's, like, angry. Witchy. And like, and yeah, stomping around. Yeah. Like, giving people trouble and stuff like that. Like, a borderline personality disorder. <laughs> like, she's a total wench, that one. Woof, stay clear of that. <laughs> yeah. Right? But that's not in the de dictionary definitions. This is just a young woman or, um, or a prostitute. There's nothing pejorative about being a young woman. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. But anyway, so we, we looked up, I looked up the wench. So I'm a big, I'm a big advocate of like understanding the terms that we're discussing because people get in arguments all the time when they don't, they're not even talking about the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, and it's just fruitless. Um, it's, it, it, no, it, it is, it's fruitful in a bad way. Right. People say, mm -hmm. well, it doesn't do anything. No, it does something. It does something bad. It leads to frustration and, and of uh, derision in relationships you know what i mean yeah yeah so you talk about love and respect and stuff and i i'm not the first person to think about this at all obviously the people uh lots of people have written about this uh like and love start real like and love start in respect right yeah right you might look at someone and go Whew, i like how that person looks right right and that's nice right and that's mm -hmm. the sort of the sort of chemistry uh, thing or some sort of an intangible thing, but you know what sustains itself is watching someone else's behavior. You you brought you mentioned the word kindness, mm -hmm. right? If you're kind and they're kind back to you, you know then that's a start, right? And you watch all kinds of different behaviors in that person, and your brain processes all these values that you assign to whatever their behaviors are, and you're like, oh, they're kind, uh, they're kind are they kind when they're having a rough day they may be kind on a good day like yeah. a fair weather coper right but what happens when the chips are down are they still kind mm -hmm. right and if they do respect points like if we're having like the blue and and red line at the bottom of the screen in a, in a political debate you know it's yeah. like and you see like one goes up and one goes down when they said whatever they said you know? <laughs> yeah right um in your mind, you have that, right? And you see that person doing that, like kindness to an elderly person, helping them across the street, or to a young child who lost their Frisbee in a tree, or mm -hmm. whatever it is, right? And man, that is, you see somebody act in a way that your values approve of, right? Congruent with your value. Right. Like, yeah, I want to hang out with that person. Yeah. Right? Or I, I want to whatever with that person. So that can lead to love. It's, it's an approval situation, I think, to begin with. Right. Yes, I approve of that. So your brain concludes that this is a person of some value and they earn your value. And then you have this reciprocity thing, maybe. And if it keeps returning back and forth, that can lead to something great. Yeah, I, I see that um, sort of discerning uh, disposition in women um, just from a guy's perspective um, more often than than men, um, uh, just probably biologically, because they have, you know, guys just want to have sex all the time. For the most, for the most part, I mean, it's you know, guys are more prone to just going out and doing whatever, and women have to be like, okay, so I'm gonna have a baby with this guy. I have to be way more or risk it, my yeah. taste, sure. I know, or risk it. Right. Um. So for guys who 
might be totally blinded half the time. You t- you always make the uh, uh, the bees in your face right. <laughs> sort yeah. of an analogy, which I, I think is hilarious, and I think about it also on a daily basis. Um, but because we have bees in our face yeah, on a daily basis, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't pay attention to anything else but the bees in your face. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. And I think if you ask any guy, they're going to be like, yeah, I've had bees in my face a lot. Like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, like 10 minutes ago. Um, So I guess what would you say would be the antidote to that for the most part? How how do we dispose of the bees in our face and be more discerning uh, when talking to women that or girls or women that we're attracted to? Okay, first interjection here. Uh, The doctor's answer to this question revolves around a couple books written by an author and journalist named Neil Strauss, um, who wrote for Rolling Stone magazine and a few other, he wrote a few other books about musicians back in the 90s. Uh, And uh, his book, The Game, uh, is basically a memoir about his transformation from Neil Strauss to scrawning, baldy, low self-esteem guy into style, who was proclaimed as the best pickup artist in the world by the community. Uh, So uh, he learns how to seduce women, but then later in his book, uh, The Truth, he describes his relationship transformation from uh, bordering on what he thought was a sex addict to slowly uh, working through all of his former trauma with his parents in order to better relationships with anybody, not just women, in the future. So read those two books, The Truth and the Game by Neil Strauss, and maybe you'll gain some insight along the way. So, you know, I've given you Neil Strauss books. Oh, yeah, and I've, right? read, I've read both The Truth and the Game because they're stellar. Yeah, you, you know, your, your mom um, said, I can't believe you gave <laughs> the boys. <laughs> when you're like, I don't know how old were you when I gave you the game. I was like 18. You were that old? Yeah, All I right. think so. Because then Colton read it shortly after you, and he was uh, like 15. Yeah, right. Um, and Cindy, my, my mom's like, I can't believe you gave, you gave him those <laughs> yeah, books to read. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Those books are the wisdom. That book yep. is, you know. So having some, uh, I think some, some like thoughtfulness, right? Because I think one of the things that's inherent to that whole approach to things is you have, like you're on, you're, you're following a script of something. Right. And uh, your thinking parts of your brain and the emotional parts of your brain are, are inversely active. Yeah. Right? So when you think more, you feel less like if you were crying and I said, hey, I need you to do this long division problem. You'd be <laughs> like, OK. All right. All right. Settle down. All right. OK. Carry the two. Right. And it would be yeah. like not compatible. So with... that's, a, that's a scientifically proven thing. Like, right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. Wow. Yeah, it is. Uh, is not compatible with all the emotional things. Yeah, one has one is up, the other one's down. So the old saying: never make a major life decision when you have a boner. Right, and that, yeah. exactly, that's an old saying, <laughs> and and it's true. Like you're not thinking correct. So emotional. I mean, most people can accept that emotional decisions are going to be worse than well thought out decisions. Yeah. How do you get to that place? I think you you habituate yourself to walking around with with clear algorithms of thinking, right? Being mm-hmm. a thinking person. Um, the thing the thing about the, the feeling people, they're afraid of becoming thinking people first um, and losing all of those feeling things, right? They're, that's, a, that's a difficult transition for people to make. They think they're gonna lose net, they're gonna lose, be, be worse off for it, and they won't. Yeah, 
Well, I, it seems to me like a lot of the feeling people, um, it, they they don't they don't feel like the feeling and the thinking is mutually exclusive. You know, it's it's like um, it's like because because doing X is the most socially conscious thing to do in your mind, um, then logically by your thought process or that person's thought process, it has to be done because it fits both with emotional and logical reasoning. And in my experience, it seems like there's very little over overlapping um, of, a, of an emotional choice and a, and a logical choice. Um, particularly for me, it seems like I've um, segmented the emotional part of my brain separately from everything else. Right. So throughout your entire childhood, we've had a garden. Yeah. Right. A fairly good sized garden. Right. A lot of work. Uh -huh. Right. Remember when you were, I don't know, 10, 12, you said, Dad, tell me again why we have to have a garden. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, of course. Yeah. So it's, it's a decent question. No, it's a great question. <laughs> and I, I always respected, not to digress to that, but I always respected your respectfulness in asking that question. Right. And okay. not being, you know, just sort of oppositional about it or whatever. Um, but, okay, so when you grow something, let's say tomatoes, like we've grown a million tomatoes, right? Um, what do you do first? Do you get do you get tomatoes? No, you get the seeds. Right, or the little plants, right? Oh, we yeah, plant right. plants, right. Yeah, we plant put plants, the, yeah. And then what do we do with the plants? I water them in and... Uh, I don't, I don't, do yeah. we put cages around the plants? Yeah, yeah, you put cages around right? the plants. Do we okay, put yeah. black tarp down sometimes? Yes, yes. Right, to minimize this, you know, any spraying, uh -huh. or insecticides, whatever, and um, weeds and hoeing, you know, in the in the summertime, whatever. Um, uh, how long does it take for us to get actual tomatoes? Um, not too long, like a few months, a couple yeah. months. Depending on the type of plant, you know, yeah. maybe 70 days or whatever yeah, of right. growth. <coughs> so it's like July... You know, we plant maybe in April sometime. We get some tomatoes in July. So to me, this is a sequential issue, right? Your thinking and feeling thing yeah. is a sequential issue. Like there's a price of admission to feeling stuff, right? And first you have to do your business. Like we talked before about business things, right? Right, right. There's the nuts and bolts of the planting and the hoeing and the, you know, all of the rest of the stuff, the watering. And then at some point you get emotions out of the thing, right? These days, we have such immediate gratification from an emotional standpoint about things that, again, I don't think that we do a whole lot of, of good thinking about things. It's just like, if it feels all right, do it. You know, like Janis Joplin said, I actually said this earlier today to somebody, you know you got it if it, when it feels good. Yeah, right. right? You know you got it, it feels good, right, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not, that's not the litmus test, right? Right. That's how it feels. If your feelings about something that you end up having some emotions are congruent with your assessment of the situation. Yeah. Then we're licensed to, to have tomatoes, right? And right. we get the beautiful things that come from that. Well, my, my question would be, what got us here? That's always my question with everything. What's the cause behind it? Um, like, it seems, it seems like ten, 20, 30 years ago, we weren't nearly as, an, as emotionally drawn because the consequences were immediate to having poor decision making that was not well thought out, you know? So why today is there such a high population of people who are thinking and feeling like their emotions are uh, logical, you so know? So do you think, I don't know if this is gonna answer the question, it might, 
Do you think that's changed? Because you, you mentioned like long ago, whatever, uh, th that we, we had those consequences. Do you think that that's changed? Do I think that there's been That more people suffer the consequences or, or suffer or enjoy the consequences immediately of what they do? Uh, um, well, I mean, I can't speak for 30 years ago because I wasn't alive back then. Um, but I, people, in, unless it's an interpersonal thing, unless it has to do with relationships, some things that like have tangible emotional satisfaction for you or that require some emotional reasoning in order for you to come to a conclusion about them and make the proper choice. Um, I don't, I don't know if people have, uh, some, uh, reciprocation or, uh, reper the re they don't have the repercussions of, of their actions when they do something that's led by emotion. Um, unless it, unless it has to do with somebody else, you know, we had a guy at work the other day, um, who kind of did an outburst on us, um, because he was emotionally charged and frustrated that we did something that he didn't like. Right. Um, and because of that, we lost respect for him, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a, there's a conflation like going back to this i feel like there's a conflation with the logic and the emotional reasoning particularly with social causes um and i i, I don't want to say that that does harm um but it seems like it's not well thought out to me uh so i guess that's where the harm can be done on a much larger scale, interpersonally, it'll do you harm if you're just using your emotions entirely to come to a conclusion. But on a larger scale, when people are agreeing with you that you should trust your feelings and everybody's sort of um, hive mind uh, just agreeing with each other, you know, in an echo chamber all the time. Right. It's not it's not going to be productive. Right. So 1970, what, seven Star Wars came out. Mm -hmm. So in the end of the movie. Obi-Wan's talking to him, and he's, like, riding through that groove there in the <laughs> Death Star, and you know, yep. he turns off his computers, and what does Obi-Wan say to him? Trust your feelings. Right. right, trust your feelings. You know what we call that in psychology? We call it emotional reasoning. Yeah, right. Because it feels right, it is right. Uh -huh. Or because it feels wrong, it is wrong, right? So in cognitive behavioral therapy and with psychology, what we're supposed to be, and I say supposed to be because I read lots of psychology records from other people, therapy notes, and I'm not sure how much of the time psychology types, therapists or whatever, are actually confronting their patients like with their thinking errors, uh -huh. right? Because you, you spend, like with good parenting, you know, whenever I've confronted you on things over the course of your life, you spend some parental currency, right? Like you, you can't just do that all the time uh, because you, your kids are, you're just going to be like Charlie Brown's teacher, like, wah, 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 you know, and yeah. they're not going to stop listening to you. Right. Right. So you have to pick and choose when you say that um, appropriately. But so I think we've pandered a lot to the wants of things. Mm -hmm. Right. And you look around and you see how people are gluttonous, right, mm -hmm. with how they eat, mm -hmm. how much they eat, what they eat, when they eat. They're all wrong, right? Yeah. And you have such an obesity problem, right? Um, is there something pejorative about obesity? Freaking yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a bad health decision. And other overweight people that are that are healthier than skinny people, some skinny people. Yeah, yeah. But the BMI issue, the body mass index issue, people are, you know. So we take everything, everything in the in the world takes the path of least resistance, pretty much. Okay, like where water flows over 
down a hill. You see that, our erosion problems out at the house, yeah, right? Yeah. We have to go fix those things. Water will, will funnel down through that. Um, things take the path of least resistance. And people, unfortunately, for the most part, will do that as well. Um, so if you give them an easier option, they'll take that and they'll learn avoidance behavior. Yeah. Right? And so an the easier option seems to be always, almost always emotional. Yeah, yeah, it is because you have to have some, some insight into the larger picture of like what's happening and why, why is it best for me underscore in the long term, mm -hmm. right? For me to, for example, delay gratification of whatever, like, Several years ago, somebody dropped off a thank you cheesecake to my office, right? Yeah. And it was big, dude. I probably weighed like five pounds. Boom. Right? Yeah. And I set it down. It's Tuesday, 9 a.m. And my office manager goes, so you going to have a piece? And I said, no. And she goes, why? And I said, it's a timing problem. <laughs> she was like, yeah. what do you mean? I said, it's freaking Tuesday morning at nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not cheesecake time. She's like, well, when is cheesecake time? I was like, well, my birthday after Thanksgiving meal, <laughs> maybe Friday night splurge night, whatever. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, but it's delaying gratification. So um, if I'm just emotional about something, I'm more likely to indulge myself in that emotion. The swarm of bees in your face isn't just a sexual experience. It's a anything that you're emotional about experience. Yeah, man. I... I got that the other day. I mean, we we talked about this. this. Was the same day at work that this guy exploded on us. It was a really emotionally taxing day for me. Um, but I we were I was having a conversation with um, a couple guys at my work who we disagree on a few things. But um, I was trying to make the point that um, the sort of cultural aspects, the consistencies in the way that people's brains work within different cultures, not their economic status, not their uh, societal structures or whatever, just the way that those things might foster their own, their own brain, their own way of thinking. There are better and worse of those traits. Sure. So that's not to say that some cultures are better or worse than others. I mean, there's obviously caveats like uh, American culture fosters some things that aren't as good as Chinese culture could foster, you know? I mean, there's there's just certain aspects of it, but I I got worked up, and I don't usually do that. Um, and it was that same bees-in-your-face sort of thing um, with that, and I I wonder... Uh, is what's what's the antidote to the to the bees? I think I just asked you that. What's the antidote to the bees I, in your I, face? I'm going to stick with understanding that we think first. Yeah. Okay. So, like in the sequence of of things, and this is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. We have situations, and this is what we and everybody that and every psychologist does cognitive behavioral therapy explains this to patients, or should explain this to patients. This is yeah. the premise of the treatment plan. Yeah. Okay. We have three phases. We have a situation. Number one. Number two, we have thoughts. Number three, we have responses, right? Yep. A situation could be whatever, because a situation could be you're just sitting thinking about something, right? And that those files, like you double click, like if you double click on a, on a file that has a virus in it, it infects your computer. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so if you double click on something in your, like if I, if I said to you, hey, let's think about the saddest thing ever. Right. And you were like, OK, 
That sounds like a horrible experience, but all right, we'll do that for the sake of this thing. And you and I are crying in like 10 seconds because I could do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I can too. I just think about the end of It's a Wonderful Life. And... I could do Oh, man. <laughs> I, think about, I think about singing lullabies to you when you were oh, little. Oh, dude. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I was crying and you'd look up at me and you'd go, Dad, <laughs> are you crying? And I'm like, yeah. You oh, know, man. you remember that? Yeah. There'll be a day when I have kids and I'm... I'm looking back on that, like listening to. Um, There's tears in your eyes, and me yeah, too. Yeah, so it goes right? by Billy Joel. Oh my you know, god! Like, yeah, god you played dude. you played uh, lullaby in a in a in a uh, piano, piano recital. recital. Yeah. yeah, that time, and I'm sent to cry. Okay, so this is our point, right? We both cried in like 30 seconds. Uh -huh. So we sit here and we think about something, then we have responses to it, right? Responses are three types of responses. There's physiological responses, like you and I just cried. Yeah. There's emotional responses. We felt sad, but it wasn't like sad, sad. It was kind of like nostalgic. Love, sad. Yeah, yeah. it's that. <clears throat> but you can feel angry. You can feel guilty or ashamed or joy or whatever, right? Um, and then there's the behavioral response as well, like what you choose to do. So this is always the sequence, right? There's a situation, there's thoughts, and then there's responses that are emotional, behavioral and physical, mm -hmm. all right? Physiological. Physiological, yeah. right. The thoughts always come before the responses. So we think first before we feel things. Right, Right. Yeah. So, But people aren't in the habit of mindfulness. You hear that as a catch sort of word, like mm -hmm. mindfulness, mindfulness. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Pay attention to the things that you think. Your brain processes billions of things every day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you're... And a lot, it's like an iceberg where there's, you can see a little bit of it and the rest of it's below the surface, uh -huh. right? It's a whole bigger part below the surface. Freud talked about the, like the unconscious mind and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So if we can just be reasonably like attentive to how we think, what we think, to understand the motives for our behaviors and to manage what happens downstream, like any like river engineer like would manage the upstream stuff to yeah. prevent the downstream whatever problems or whatever happening. So yeah, being... That's the antidote, I think, is being mindful people that understand. Now, that's a big task, dude. I mean, to think, okay, I'm going to start paying attention to what I think. But what it means is, is potentially deconstructing many of the premises as you look at how at the, at the tapestry of your, of your entire philosophical collection of stuff that's your reality that you've created for yourself, and you realize that this is not coherent, right? And you start to, to deconstruct and reconstruct the foundations of what you think about. Dude, one thing I've really un come to understand as a psychologist is that's a big-ass job. Oh, yeah. It's a big job. I mean, people come in and say, ah, I feel, you know, and you think, okay, we're just going to do a little bit of whatever. And, and that's true. Sometimes you can just help them put out a little fire or whatever. But if you're really going to help somebody under engage in this whole process it's a lot of work right yeah people are like you know what i'm busy you know and what what it means is i'm busy is i have other things that i think are better investments of my time mm -hmm. than than allotting time every day to thoughtfulness about how i think about things mm -hmm. and understanding the world i actually do that um i don't know why i've always thought that way i've always I've always had that sort of like introspective, like mindfulness sort of a thing yeah. that I've done since I was a tiny little kid. Um, and I'm not sure. Same. 
I think well, I inherited you, that from no, you. No, you have. Yeah. People met you when they were when you were little, man, like three, four years old, and they referred to you as an old soul. Yeah, I'm like yeah. he's three, right? I know. I think about that. I think about that now. And there was <clears throat> there was a time at the when I was working at uh, the DN, the Daily Nebraskan on campus, and uh, we had our peer reviews, and I was a culture editor, um, and so we had all of our reporters give us back some reviews, and. Uh, when I had my my personal review from uh, my boss, who was another student, you know, it's all run by students, so went into her office and she read me off a few of the reviews that my reporters had given me, and one of them was, oh, Hunter, he's wise beyond his years. <laughs> and I I told that to, to one of my friends, uh, and uh, one, of, one of my co-editors there, and they were like, that's funny. I was like, what? All right. Well, you know, Hugh claims to be a wise man. Only, you know, only shows what he doesn't know. So I guess I'm not wise, or I can't claim to be wise. And I had a lot on my run the other day. I was, I sat, I, I thought a lot about that as well. You know, like I'd love to think that I'm wise. I'd love to think that I, I'm well, I'm thoughtful, and I think things through. Yeah. Um, but I. I can't. I just have to keep thinking. Don't plague my own thoughts with <laughs> the, how wise I am compare, you know, cuz that's immediately comparing myself to others. And I'm kind of going on a tangent right now, but it, well, well no, okay, like let's take math. Okay? Well, in science, always mm-hmm. the more questions you answer, the more questions you have, right? So the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. like math. Uh you, you learned algebra, then there's like algebra two and trigonometry and analytic geometry and calculus and Pascal and whatever, right? right? right. Okay, um, if you're in advanced calculus and somebody asks you an algebra question, yeah, can you say, I know that answer to that question, it's this, right? Mm-hmm. Are you full of yourself? No, I, no, I just know the answer to that question, right? Yeah, right, right. So it's like that. So I mean, with these, with this thing, it's not like uh, I think a wise person realizes that there's a ton that they have left to learn, mm-hmm. but they also don't discount what they've already learned, and that's the premise of some of the better philosophers out there, is that we can know things. Yeah, right? we can. Right, our brain works on reasoning right? And it pieces together all kinds of information from our entire existence, our experience, and what we've learned from others' experiences, reading and whatever, right? And we piece that all together in a coherent way as best as we can, and we move forward, and we test our hypotheses, and we see if that works or it doesn't work, and we gather more data, right? And we evolve, and then we die long before we're done evolving, right? Into some sort of a nirvanic peace peace place where I'm like, I have complete enlightenment. Unless you're Bill Murray um, in Caddyshack, right? He, uh, you know, he was a looper for the, for the Dalai Lama, right? Yeah. And he says he's going to give him total enlightenment on his deathbed. He's like, so I got that going for me, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I would like that experience. But the wise person doesn't make that claim because they know that it's not true if they're honest with themselves. And there's no shame to that. It's just the truth. But you can say, I, I figured that one out and I know that one. Yeah. Within a reasonable degree of certainty and based on all of these other uh, data points mm-hmm. and my experience, my, re- my reasoning, and my learning, that is that, right? Yeah. Fantastic. 
I, I'll give myself more credit from now on <laughs> for knowing something um, or like just being confident in, in my answer because, you know, different people are going to come to a lot of different conclusions on things. And for me, it's it's entirely based on personal experience. That's literally all we have, you know. Um, so I'll yeah, I'll start writing that that stuff down. Do. And it doesn't mean that we don't listen to new information mm -hmm. as well, even if it's something that. We, we think we've pretty much figured out. Right, We're yeah. always listening to it, and you vet out that information, and you see if it holds water or something, because that's what honest people do. They don't sure. just They don't just say, well, it must be this mystical thing over here that we don't know about. I guess it's that. It's a miracle. It's like, well, there's probably a better explanation for it than that. We just don't know yet. Like Richard Dawkins, let's just be honest about it. Yeah. Right? And say that we don't know. That's the honest answer. Uh -huh. But there are things that we can more likely than not or beyond uh, a reasonable beyond a reasonable doubt, which in criminal court is 95%, right, yeah. chance of it being true, that this is actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's end it on that. All right. Um, this was awesome, Dad. Thank you so much for coming down to my basement and hanging out in my studio. Well, I love the invitation. Like I told you when you invited me to do this, the thing I'm looking forward to most is just a forum to have substantive conversation with my son. For sure, for right? sure. Um, with, with a person that I'm grateful to be in a family together with um, and to have the opportunity just to hang out with you because you're, you're a really wonderful person in my not-so-humble opinion. <laughs> you too. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. This has been Bees in Your Face. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please send us your thoughts at shallotrecords at outlook.com. That's shallot as in the onion, records, one word, at outlook.com. Also, if you have any topics you would like discussed or if you have any questions, we're always looking for conversation starters. So please shoot them our way.